0: Bring the love of Wisconsin's outdoors in through the beauty and quality craftsmanship of Pella windows and doors. Lock in your prices by February 28th and get 0% interest for up to 48 months. Visit pellawi.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank, get old. Now, here's WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hope everybody is surviving and has survived well, the snowstorm moving through the area and ice and everything. And again, the only... The, the only Good, positive thing that I have to say about this is that uh, the light is at the end of the tunnel. We are at the end of February, and, yeah, I understand there's going to be some cold that's supposed to follow the storm, but, you know, we're moving into March. Daylight hours increase. Daylight saving time kicks in, I believe, in a little over two weeks, and the weather tends to get warmer. Spring training baseball, our first broadcast is on Saturday. Bottom line is we are moving we are moving towards better weather, so be of good cheer. If you follow me on Twitter, and it's at Wagner 620 a couple of postings that are interesting to me, and a couple of them I think underscore the the advancement of what I'm going to call alternative media. If you want to understand some of the things that are going on and you want the updates on stories, there are a number of, alternative media websites, I think, that do a really good job of if not breaking stories, bringing follow up to stories that you you just you don't get in the traditional mainstream media. At least you don't get them at, as soon as you do. And I've got links to a couple of those. And one is there's a website called Wisconsin Right Now, which is a conservative leaning website that um, focuses on crime related issues and political related issues. But they've they've got a piece up that explains a lot. And I've got a link to that story again. If you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. You will remember, and we talked about this on yesterday's show, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there was an incident around 60th and, well, around 70th and and West Thurston Avenue. Thurston is just north of Silver Spring, if you can picture that. And so police, they they see there's a car driving without license plates, so they, they go to stop it. And what happens in Milwaukee now when the police try to make a stop, the, the guy takes off. Now, as I've often said, you never know why people are running. That, that's, that's one of the really, really scary things that police officers have to deal with. What, why are, why are they running from me? Because let's face it, the normal reaction is, okay, you, you, you pull over, you show the uh, police officer your driver's license, maybe you try to talk your way out of a ticket, you get a ticket, whatever that might be. But nowadays, people run. And, of course, police have no idea of knowing why it is that somebody is running. Is there a body in the trunk? Is there a hostage in the back seat? You you just don't know about what's going on. So, anyhow, the police start to pursue. For What happens is the guy pulls over first. The cops get out of the car, and then he drives off. (laughs) Ha, 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 I've left the cops in the dust. Well, uh, a few minutes later, the same car is seen near 60th and, and West Thurston, and then they chase And the chase ends about 30 blocks away, the 9,100 block of West Silver Spring, which is a decent-sized intersection when the bad guy has blown through a red light and smashed into another vehicle. As also happens on a regular basis, even after the crash, the guy driving the vehicle gets out and starts running, and he's carrying a gun. He's got a gun in his hand. There's no dispute about that. The police begin a foot chase with the guy who's running from them, who's armed, and ultimately a 43-year-old police officer with uh, uh, more than five years' experience ends up shooting the man who is fleeing. And and so far, we don't have all the details of the investigation, and we don't know what it was that caused the police officer to pull the trigger. You can hear, at least from some of the video that's out there, they're screaming, police, drop your weapon, drop your weapon. Don't know if the guy turned. We, We don't know any of that yet, and that'll come out, but bottom line is the police officer shoots and kills this 31-year-old man who has started this whole thing by, again, running from the police on multiple occasions. The first traffic stop, the second traffic stop, after the the car smashes through a red light and hits a car, and then getting out on foot and running. And that's always one of the questions that are there. Why are these people running in the first place? Well, now more details are coming out not about the shooting itself, but at least we're getting some insight into why it was that the 31-year-old man may have run. And uh, I, I first saw the story, the medical examiner has now identified the 31-year-old guy as Herman Lucas. That's, that's his name. And now I think we can get some insight as to why it is that he might have run. According to Wisconsin Circuit Court record system and um, Wisconsin, right now, um, here 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 is the deal. Um, a court. Let's see. Um, in two thousand nine, in Milwaukee County, Herman Lucas, the man who was shot by police, was convicted of two charges: a judge delinquent possession of a firearm, a class G felony and first-degree reckless injury, a Class D felony, court records show. So let's just put this in perspective. By virtue of his conviction of multiple felonies, he is now no longer legally allowed to possess a firearm, right? So that's where we start. In 2009, he was ordered to serve 10 years in state prison, um, on these, these charges that were combined, uh, meaning he would stay behind bars for eight years. According to corrections records, he was released on August 20th, 2019 on extended supervision. And it, it's a little bit unclear from the records, but I think he had some problems with that and might have gotten the supervision revoked. Um, while, after getting out on the multiple felonies, though, he was convicted in Waukesha Circuit Court Um, November of 2021 of essentially ID theft, felony misappropriating an ID. The charges were 2020. He was convicted in 2021. Um, Again, I believe this is a felony and he was given this time probation for a nonviolent offense with six months in jail. Two months were stayed. Um, in March of 2022, he was listed as non-compliant with probation commit conditions. The court ordered him to serve four months condition time. A bench warrant was issued, and the bench warrant was still active apparently at the time of his death. So, okay, so let's look at what we've got here. If we re- if we review the bidding, so on Tuesday afternoon, you've got a guy who is driving without license plates the police go to pull him over if these reports are correct there's an outstanding warrant because he owes time on the 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 theft of an i the id theft um from waukesha back in 2021 on top of that he has multiple felony convictions, um, including one for reckless injury that he served a number of years on. And here he's driving around. So you've got the outstanding warrant and he's in possession of a firearm. You put all that together and I think you have some insight as to why it was that he decided to run in the first place and try to flee and avoid the police. Now, again, that doesn't answer the questions about, you know, why, why was there the shooting and things like that? But at least we understand that this 31 year old guy, who who ran from the police, it was not, no surprise, his first time at the rodeo. And my guess is one of the things that was motivating him to run was, first, he's got a gun. He's not legally allowed to have the gun. So if he gets caught with that, he's going back to prison for a few years. Secondly, there's the outstanding, I still believe, warrant for him on the Waukesha thing. So that's why he's running, trying to get away. doesn't answer the questions of the shooting, but it does show that this is the type of situation that the cops face on an almost daily basis. Why is it that somebody ran? Because you need you need to have a reason to run. And generally speaking, that reason is that you are up to no good. And that, I think, is what indicates this here. Like I say, it doesn't have anything to do with the merits of the shooting. That is under investigation. But we're now learning more about the guy who was shot. And surprise follows surprise. Like I say, it wasn't his first time at the rodeo. When we come back, no more snow days. Stick around. Join us at WTMJ for a day-long broadcast. Annex Wealth Management presents WTMJ Conversations 2023, sponsored by Smart Spaces. All the names you know that make Milwaukee operate. Long-form conversations with professionals from all sorts of industries, including politics, sports, the arts, and more. Wednesday, March 1st, starting at 8 a.m., Annex Wealth Management presents WTMJ Conversations 2023, right here on WTMJ. Okay. Um, schools closed today because the the roads treacherous schools in some areas closed yesterday Um, it's it's not uncommon so what happens hey it's a snow day that that's great kids get to go out and well if they choose they can go out and build snowmen and build snow forts and have snowball fights and play in the snow and all those kinds of things we all remember that and, and that was great interestingly though in many school districts, snow days are going away. Well, what do you mean, Jeff? How can snow days be going away? You, you, you surely don't think that when you have like an ice storm that's going on, you can expect that the kids are going to go out and the school buses are going to run. How irresponsible is that? Well. Okay, this is the alternative story in the State Journal. While some students in Wisconsin might have spent Wednesday cozied up with a movie or playing in the snow because of a winter storm, others were in front of their computers logged on to online school from home. After the COVID-19 pandemic equipped schools with new online learning capabilities, more schools are turning to e-learning in lieu of traditional snow days that have um, long been an issue, especially as schools exhaust their snow days for the year. Yesterday, at least two dozen districts in southern Wisconsin were holding an online learning day rather than closing school entirely. Statewide, at least 70 districts turned to online learning in some capacity, um, ranging, well, pretty much all over the state. Okay, Um, part of this is snow day math. Each school year, schools are required to provide at least 1,050 direct instructional hours for kids in grades 1 through 6, and at least 1,137 instructional hours for students in grades 7 through 12. And, of course, what happens is, If you have multiple snow days, that tends to cut into that amount, and you get to a point where, hey, if you don't have your instructional hours in, what you have to do is maybe add days at the end of the school year. So as an alternative to this, well, school districts are saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. We've gotten equipped from this during the pandemic. You know, in most cases, we're able to do it. I think everybody would agree that the online learning is a poor alternative to the in-person learning, but at the same time, isn't online learning a superior option to no learning at all? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, I understand that this is, it's not a perfect sort of situation, and I understand that there might be some kids in some places who aren't able to like fully participate, but in general, Schools are equipped with the ability to teach online. You've got kids who are, in almost all situations, you're given computers. They've got access to this type of stuff. Doesn't it make sense, instead of just canceling school and saying we're not going to do anything, doesn't it make sense to say, hey, okay, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going online today. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. See, here's the deal. A lot of school districts all across Wisconsin aren't canceling school because of weather anymore, but instead what they're saying is, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to go virtual for the day. I, I think it's a great idea, and I think it's a far superior idea to adding days at the end of the school year where, let, let's face it, by the time, you know, earlier mid-June rolls around, all the kids are completely and totally punched out. 855-616-1620. Jeff, our kids had two free snow days this school year already. Our elementary student had off for a third snow day, but our middle school son had to do virtual learning. They're in the same Elmbrook district. Again, you've got, we now have the capability. To me, this is kind of like the remote work. You, you've got, even if it's not the preferred alternative, it's it's an option that that's out there. And my guess is there are a lot of businesses that sort of made that decision. Hey, it, it's it's really going to be crummy. If you can work at home, all right, we're going to let you work at home, Bob, and, and still continue to do your job. We, we prefer you to come in, but we don't want anybody to, you know, take risks. 855-616-1620. Jim in Union Grove. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi. I, I think it's a good idea, but Right now, Union Grove, Cannonsville, Yorkville—the majority
0: of those homes are without power right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how it would work.
1: Well, I mean, and, Jim, and thanks, some of them are not yeah.
0: expecting power back on. they are not expecting their power back on until eleven thirty.
1: Yeah, well, Jim, th- thanks for calling. I mean, look, I, I I understand. That's why I guess I, I understand. There's always going to be situations where it, it's it's going to be I- impossible. Um, And and I appreciate that, obviously, if you don't have power and you don't have access to the, the Internet and stuff like that, that you're not going to be able to participate. But that's really going to be the exception. I mean, the vast majority of people who... Didn't go to school this week or last week because of the weather. It, it yes, maybe there were some power outages, but in general, most people, the, the, the power stayed on so they would be able to participate. Now, obviously, like I say, if you, if you don't have access to the power, well, you, you, you can't participate. But for the vast majority of kids, the choice is, okay, staying inside and watching movies and watching, t- or watching TV or going outside and play or being in school. And as long as you're able to do it, I I would say go ahead, recognizing that you are going to have that that occasional situation where okay, there's a widespread power outage and you can't participate. But what about all the other kids in the school district? Maybe the and again, I don't know the situation going on in Union Grove right now, but you know, in most of these school districts everybody is not without power it's a i think it's a good option that you can explore in order to again keep people in school mike in illinois mike you're on wtmj good afternoon
0: good afternoon jeff um i agree with you on 100 percent um you know i remember snow days listening to radio to hear my district called me and my brother and we were just so happy we were elated but you know what it's just like coming back from a weekend And you're a little bit sluggish on that Monday morning. You're going to be a little bit sluggish. And you might as well keep kids not just, I mean, in learning, but engaged. You know? Engaged. That's that's one of the keys to having kids learn is having them engaged. They're off for a day. You know, also at the end of the year when they had those days, I can remember, man, I just wanted to get out and play. I mean, the sun was out and it was warm. I'm not looking to study. So I think it makes more sense to put those days in when the weather is not good.
1: Yeah, Mike. Th- thanks for the call. And and you have the capabilities. I mean, see, that's that's it. it okay, ten years ago, all right? The school systems might not have been geared up. You you might not have had the capability of online learning. Well, that's look. There's not a very, there's not a lot of good stuff that came out of the pandemic. And I'm not arguing that. But one of the things was that we we learned how to do remote learning. We and and I I fully appreciate that remote learning is is a poor comes in a poor second place to in-person learning but it beats no learning at all i guess that's how i kind of look at it and that's one of the things that came out of the pandemic we figured out how to do virtual schooling just like i was saying a minute ago we figured out how to do remote work for a lot of people so since we have that capability i just think it makes sense to do it and i think these school districts are on the right track Some people wanting to weigh in and guess what the final Jeopardy um, question is. The answer is seven hundred forty one thousand three hundred twenty four. And actually, one of our texters nailed it. If you said what was the maximum population, the largest population of the city of Milwaukee, you would be correct, 741,324, and I'm basing it on census reports. I understand that, you know, people come and go, but in that's, that's the highest population that the city of Milwaukee had, according to the census. When was that? 1960. So in 1960, um, Milwaukee had 741,324 official residents at the time. Milwaukee was the 11th largest city in the nation. All right, so flash forward, you know, 60 years. Currently, Milwaukee is the 30th 30th largest 30th largest city in the country. So over that 60-year period, we've gone from 11 to 30. The final population for Milwaukee based on the 2020 census was, drum roll please, 577,222. That was a decrease of about 17,600 people from a decade earlier. It's the lowest number of people living in the city since 1930. And, I mean, again, if you do the math, it's a decline of, well, you know, approximately, uh, well, let's see, we go from... 741,000 to 577,000 so you know you do the math on that and you're talking about you know uh, close to 170,000 fewer people between 1960 and, you know, 2020. So a definite drop. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. And people are saying, well, you know, what happened is we built freeways and that made it easier for people to go live in the suburbs and things like that and travel back and forth. And you know, there's all sorts of factors that are going on there. What's interesting about this is the new mayor of the city of Milwaukee has come out and he said, look, I I just, I don't want to accept the fact that, you know, the city is going to continue to lose people. So he says, Look, I want to see growth. I want to see more people be part of this community. My thought is we should be ambitious about it. We shouldn't simply nibble around the edges and try to remain a city of 600,000 people or so. The mayor says we should be trying to grow the city. And they say, okay, well, what's, you know, what's going on? He says, well, look, I, I think our goal should be, we should look at a million. You know, if we had a million people, if we could somehow increase our population by over 400,000 people, um, that would really, we would be a, more than a, just a city that's a whisper. We would be part of a conversation with some of the other major metropolises across the country that are growing. I want Milwaukee to be in that mix. Now, I think that's that's a great goal. And you know, it, it's nice to see politicians saying, Okay, we're we're going to, you know, plant our flag in the ground and we're gonna set goals. So the mayor is saying, I, I want to see us I'm not just happy that oh, let's try to see if we can get back up to six hundred thousand people. I want us growing. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old national bank talk and text line. Let's have an honest conversation about this. If you want to grow the city of Milwaukee, if you want to grow the region, what needs to be done? Now, let's understand that there are some things that you, you can't control. And, you know, you're, you're always going to be dealing with the issue of of weather and you're going to be dealing with, you know, winters in the Midwest. So that's always going to be a limiting factor. That That's just the reality. So you, you can't control the weather. You can't make it not sleet or snow or things like that. But within the things that you might be able to control, what do you need to do in order to? Uh, again, grow the city. If the mayor's serious about trying to get to a million people or even get back up to 600,000, what does he have to do? 855-616-1620. What would you advise him to do? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Okay, so uh according to the census, you are just tuning in, Milwaukee's current population is 577,000. Milwaukee is the 30th largest city in the country. All right. Back in 1960, Milwaukee's population was seven hundred plus thousand, and Milwaukee was the tenth largest city in the country, eleventh uh, largest city. Right, seven hundred forty-one thousand in 1960, 11th largest city in the nation. So there's been, other cities have gotten a lot bigger. Ours has gotten dramatically smaller. The mayor says, "Hey, look, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not happy with this." I, I don't think our goal can be, hey, let's just see if we can get back up to 600,000. I want us growing. I want to see what we can do to get a million people. My question is, is that realistic at all? And, and if so, what do you need to do to do it? 855 616 Brenda in Grafton. Brenda, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Good afternoon. What do you
2: think? I think it's pretty pretty obvious it's crime, right? I mean, I know people who won't even go to Summerfest. And when I tell them I go all the time, they're like, are you crazy? And I said, you know, what's the deal? And the crime, the crime, there's so bad. And I know people who've actually had condos downtown and they've sold within the last couple of years because the crime has grown, right? That's part of the problem. The other problem is parking. There's not a lot of places to park down there. So if you are going to increase the population, you're going to have to make a lot more parking for people and make that eligible for them to have a place to park their car safely, um, it's convenient, Mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things. But I think the overriding thing, obviously, is crime. He's going to have to get it under control.
1: Yeah, Brenda. Th- yeah. Thanks for call. You know, I I just as a matter of fact, we're getting a ton of texts, as you might expect, and that's that's of course one of the things you, you've got to control crime. It, it and and I agree completely. And it, it's it's not a chicken and the egg thing. And by that I mean it's not a what came first. The the truth of the matter is, until you get a handle on crime, and this is why I, it's just so frustrating to me that whether it's the judges, the DAs, the local politicians, county supervisors, members of the Common Council, um, the mayor's office, why people are afraid to confront the crime issue directly and say, you know, we've got bad people that are out there on the streets and we've got to get them off the streets. It's so aggravating to me because until you get a handle on crime, you, you don't get a lot of these other things that you need to if you're going to spark growth. You you know, if we say, okay, we, we need better paying jobs, you know, we need to have investments in communities. I, I agree. But if you're if you're an investor, if you're thinking of starting, you know, uh Charlie's Auto parts store okay and you're looking at different locations and you're going to be putting your capital on the line to start the auto parts store you know and you're looking at different locations and you say okay well i can I can find these this location in the city of Milwaukee but um, this is a zip code where I'm looking at all the, the crime there. The, the three stores that were in this location beforehand ended up closing, and there was robberies and there was police calls. And you know, I, I don't want I don't want my employees robbed. I don't want the store robbed. I'm going to invest my money in an area where. Okay, you know, I'd love to put it in the city of Milwaukee, but maybe what I should be doing is putting it somewhere where I don't have to worry about crime. People don't want to live in crime infested areas. So, I mean, I think crime is a major, major concern on top of this. For me, I would say schools because that's just the reality. Let's face it. And I don't want to understand that some people cringe about this but let's let's face it while there are some very, very good schools in the Milwaukee Public school system, by and large, it is a very challenged challenged school district for a lot of reasons so if you're if you're thinking about okay i'm I'm interested in moving into the city of Milwaukee and i'm 30 years old, and I've just got married, and we're starting a family, or we're thinking about starting a family, and one of the things that we're concerned with is, you know, where are we? Gonna, where are the schools like? And if you're going, well, this isn't a very good school, or that isn't a very good school, or I, so I can live in the suburbs... So I've got the school system. So you've got to tackle the school system. And then, of course, you also have to tackle taxes. I mean, so to me, it's crime, it's schools, it's it's taxes as a starting point. And until you get a handle on all of those, everything else, it seems to me, is kind of a non-starter. 855-616-1620. Dave in Franklin. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good
0: afternoon. How are you doing today?
1: I am well, thank you. What do you think?
0: I'm thinking uh, part of it, he took the, he took my thunder away in a sense of crime, safety. And if you look at, and I don't like to use just the baseline of Northridge Mall, but if I'm a business owner, and I love my law enforcement brothers and sisters, but if I moved up there right now and tried to put a business in there, there's got to be a reason why we're not opening stores in Northridge Mall. I mean, it doesn't take brain surgery to figure out. I want to put a business up there, and I want to make some money. How am I going to do it if the last location totally shut it down because of all the crime and all the safety? It's not there. I can't put a store in there. And law enforcement goes in there, and they're just beating their head against the wall because they're just right back out stealing stuff yep. from our stores again. So that's where yeah. I stand on that.
1: No, no, thanks for the call, Dave. And I, 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 again, I, I agree. I mean, I think you, you've... <sighs> You've, you've got to get a handle on this. And, and I, I appreciate, like the mayor's talking about things like, well, I, I, I want to, uh, I want to change the zoning rules so you can have more density, more high rise buildings or multifamily housing as opposed to, you know, single family housing. Okay, that's fine. And I want more urban transit options, you know, for, for people. And, and that's okay. And I, I get it, but that doesn't solve the fundamental problem. That might be something that attracts Say younger, younger people, hey, I'm, I'm just out of school. I'm 24 years old. That's my first job. And, and I like the vibe of downtown. I, I know. Well, actually, I know lots of people who have kids who are exactly in that situation. You know, they're just out of college. It's kind of their first job. They They like to be. For example, downtown. And it's exciting, and they like to be able to walk to some of the restaurants, and they like to be a short Uber ride away from going to a Bucks game or whatever, and, and that's great. But you know what happens? And I can think of this, I'm thinking just uh, at least three or four. Couples right now that I can think of without trying to even think too hard about it, you know what happens is they get married and then okay this has been cool for a year or two we got the downtown apartment or we got the downtown condo but now all right we want to start the family or you know she's pregnant and it's like okay well what are we going to do now with this really this place that was great when we were starting out our life it's really you know it's, it it would it's be okay with the baby for a year or two but you know we want to get the baby into you know we want to get the school system and things like that we want a yard you know we want um and we want safety and until you get a handle on all those types of things all this other stuff it seems to me is just well it's just kind of you know lip service um you know and and that's just the the reality there Jeff to grow Milwaukee you have to control crime You've got weather. We can't do anything about the weather. Crime, crime, crime. Did I forget crime? Oh, yes. You know, crime. Um, and until you get a handle on crime, you know, the population is going to continue to decline. Well, it's I, look, there, there's exciting things that are going on. I, I get it. You've gotten a number of big companies, whether it's Northwestern Mutual bailing on Franklin or a couple of the other businesses, um, Fiserv or Right Height or a couple of the other Milwaukee tool that are, are bringing people into downtown. And my guess is that if you bring more people into work, that's probably going to inspire more people to want to live there. But that's that's not stopping an overall decline. That's not the long term solution. The long term solution goes back to dealing with the things we're talking about, which is schools and it's crime and it's taxes. And unless you get a plan to deal that, you can talk about all the let's expand the hop as much as you want, but that's not going to be a significant driver of population. Deal with the big issues. Do I ever think you're going to be able to get it to a million no i i just don't think that's going to happen especially you know back keep it back back in the 1960s you had all the, the, the you had factories and stuff like that we were much more industrialized than we were than we are now and we're going to be moving forward so you you're never going to i'm not sure you're ever going to be able to get it back up to 740,000 but Can you stop the decline? Yeah, you can, but you have to be willing to recognize, first of all, that there is a problem. And what I've seen so far is I don't think anybody's even realized that. Here's a text. Jeff. Years ago, my late wife and I had thoughts of moving into Milwaukee in our later years, East Side in particular. She's passed away now, and criminals and crime have more constructive attention given them by politicians and the legal system than average citizens. I will stay in the suburbs. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, that's... That's what I think is going to be interesting to see. You can argue that particularly in the downtown area, there is a bit of a renaissance going on with, with some of the development, and I see how that would be attractive to younger people, like I was saying. Maybe the your your first job out of college or whatever. But unless and until you get a handle on all these other things, that's going to be transitory because You know, those younger people, they're going to get tired of living in the little apartments. They're going to get tired of living in the condos downtown once they start having kids and they think about schools and they think about taxes and they want a lawn where they can play and all that sort of stuff. And they're going to be moving out. So if you're going to have long-term growth, you've got to realize that, that there's bigger issues that are there, and it would be nice to hear some politicians talk about that. All right, when we come back, after the top of the hour news, we're going to go where angels fear to tread. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to this story. It appeared in the New York Times. It has created incredible amounts of controversy. There's a new study out that suggests everything we were told about masks and stopping the spread of COVID and things like that, just it didn't work and it wasn't true can we even discuss this moving forward um if you want to see the article i'm referring to before we start talking about it follow me on twitter it's at jeffwagner620 that's where we start the program right after the top of the hour news
0: live from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue it's the jeff wagner show now here's wtmj's jeff wagner
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, as Eric was just saying, uh, the, the reports we have right now is there's been a parking structure collapse on the first and second floor. Several vehicles crushed, unknown right now if, if any of the vehicles were occupied. And we're not sure at this point in time, as, as I recall, I mean, there's the there's a big parking structure um, that, that fronts on Port Washington Road. And then in, in the back, I seem to recall, there's another parking structure as, as well. It's been a while since I've been in the back of, of Bayshore. But we'll, we'll continue to bring you updates. Again, this is a developing situation, but uh, more reports on that. The initial reports are at least at one of the parking structures, collapse on the first and second floor, multiple vehicles crushed, um, unknown as to whether anybody was in there or whether there's been any injuries. But we will keep you updated. You know, the reports are, and we've been covering this, uh, Tony Earle. Who was the forty-first governor of the state of Wisconsin? He served one term, nineteen eighty-two to nineteen eighty-six. Passed away at the age of eighty-six. Um, it, it's it's interesting because I, I I did I, I met Tony Earl on a couple occasions. I, I certainly did not know him well, but he he was even though our politics were not the same. He was a guy who I think was was genuinely and generally respected. Um, he won in nineteen eighty-two. I was pulling this up. He, he won election his one term huge margin he ran against uh Terry Kohler, the late Terry Kohler, and uh amassed like fifty almost fifty seven percent of the vote so had a had a big win um and then in nineteen eighty six He ran against Tommy Thompson, and uh, Tommy Thompson. This was the first time that Tommy Thompson had run for governor, and that you know he beat Tony Earl. And then Thompson went on to be the governor for you know four separate terms. He left in the middle of his fourth term. Welcome back. And as as John and Sandy and Jason and I were discussing, we'll, we'll keep you updated if there's any new developments in the partial. Parking structure collapse at Bayshore Town Center. If you're just tuning in, um, th- this is there's multiple parking structures at Bayshore Town Center. This would be one that is on the the south end of the build of of the Town Center, um, on the. It would be the east side of the parking garage. There, there's a Kohl's department store and then there, there's a road and then there's the parking structure that you would go in. On the other side of the parking structure, and I believe it's a two-story parking structure, the other side which sort of Abut Silver Spring and fronts Port Washington Road. Trader Joe's is probably the the, the best-known store that's there for people who are familiar with the area. And and this, it's a partial collapse. It appears from the second floor down to the first floor. It looks to me like, thankfully, a a lot of the, the collapse was towards the the entrance or exit of the parking structure uh, closest to Kohl's. So it's not like the whole thing came down or anything like that. And again, the the reports are no injuries at this point in time. Don't know if there's cars that were damaged or not, but that's at least right now. And judging from the reaction that we're seeing from emergency responders and things like that, it, it, I, I'm hoping that there's no injuries um, that uh, nobody was, right underneath this when that collapsed. And that's certainly what I would take from at least their reaction thus far. And that would be very, very good news. But we're going to uh, keep you advised of this. Okay. I, I'm all, I, I posted this about an hour and a half ago because I wanted to get people's responses because I, I know after talking about issues related to this over the last three years, I know that, that there are people who feel just strongly on all sides of this particular issue. Uh, there is a new study out, and I want to share with you an opinion column that was written in the New York Times the other day, which has generated a huge response. It, it, this, the, the column is by Brett Stevens, but it refers to a, a, a study that's out there. The this, this column is titled, Mask Mandates Did Nothing. Will Any Lessons Be Learned? Let me read you just a portion of it. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy. There's a college reading word for you on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illnesses, including COVID-19, was published late last month. Its conclusion, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist, epidemiologists move up try saying that three times fast who is its lead author were unambiguous quote there is no evidence that masks make any difference full stop but wait hold on what about n95 masks as opposed to lower quality surgical or cloth masks makes no difference none of it said jefferson what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates Quote, they were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. Well, what about the utility of masks in conjunction with other preventive measures like hand hygiene, physical distancing or air filtration? Quote, "There is no evidence that many of these things make any difference. These observations don't just come from anywhere. Jefferson and 11 colleagues conducted the study for Cochrane, a British nonprofit that is widely considered the gold standard for its reviews of healthcare data. The conclusions were based on 78 randomized controlled trials, 6 of them during the covid ban- pandemic." with a total of 610,872 participants in multiple countries, and they track what has been widely observed in the United States. States with mask mandates fared no better against COVID than those without. No study or studies or studies is ever perfect. Science is never absolutely settled. What's more, the analysis does not prove that proper masks properly worn had no benefit at an individual level people may have had good personal reasons to wear masks and they may have the discipline to wear them consistently their choices are their own but when it comes to the population level benefits of masking the verdict is in mask mandates were a bust those skeptics who were furiously mocked as cranks and occasionally censored as misinformers for opposing mandates were right the mainstream experts and pundits who supported mask mandates were wrong. In a better world, it would behoove the latter group to acknowledge their error, along with its considerable physical, psychological, pedagogical and political costs. But don't count on it. Um, and then it goes on to talk about how the, the CDC um, doesn't agree with this, you know, study and said that our guidance on masking isn't going to change. Okay. I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, the this study doesn't say that on an individual level, you know, masking might not have, you know, helped some individual. But it says population-wide, whether it's because of the type of masks that people wore or the fact that people didn't wear masks properly or the fact that people were constantly pulling at their masks and things like that. It said population-wide. Overall, the mask mandates really did not make a difference. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, let's, let us discuss Now, the only reason this is relevant, I guess, is because, you know, moving forward, what happens? Uh, Milwaukee County finally dropped its mask mandates to ride the buses and to go into the courthouse. Finally dropped that. Um, In general, I think most mask mandates have been dropped. They do still exist in some hospitals, of course, and some, for example, nursing homes and things like that. But overall, is it possible, is it possible that the instructions to tell the whole population to wear masks might not have made any difference. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Uh, 855-616-1620. This study, and again, it doesn't doesn't say... Necessarily, that if you would properly wear the, the appropriate mask, that it could not have had an influence on an individual case. But it says population-wise, it really didn't make any difference. And, and so that the mask mandates were a failure. Now, reading into that, I guess I would interpret that to be the, the problem. This was the problem with mask mandates all along, that... you you can only get so much compliance. Can I see a show of hands? I mean, back when you had the mask mandates, how many people did you see that were wearing ill-fitting like cloth masks or had the masks pulled down over their nose or were constantly fidgeting with their masks and using their hands and pulling at the edges of them? So, I I mean, I I think part of it might just be that there's There's unlike in a hospital setting, for example, where you have the surgeons that are wearing the appropriate N95 masks and they're washing their hands all the time and they're in the sterile sort of environment. When you get that into the real world and you're on the airplane and you're sitting next to the person who's got the mask, the cloth mask that doesn't that's hanging open on both sides and is down over their nose. Well, it's that the mask mandate isn't working in part, maybe because they're not wearing the, the mask properly. Let's talk to Julie in Burlington. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, Jack. Nice Hi. to talk to you. Um, Yeah. that's the reason i called was and you're correct it's like that's why i think it didn't work believe me i didn't want to wear a mask especially when i have to wear one all the time at work anyway the last thing i wanted to do is wear one to the store or wear one here and there but of course when you go to any store you could see people had it out down under their nose all the people who work there, or they had the thin cloth, like you were saying. And um, all these years, I was a dental hygienist, so I'm right there in their face, inhaling all their stuff that's (laughs) coming up. And uh, I always just wore a surgical uh, level three mask, and I never got COVID from any patients. And so I just think it was just the proper wear. I've still never gotten it. And we've you don't have to wear a mask in our office, except when you're actually working on the patient. So, you know, I I, I don't know if I agree or really disagree. I think I disagree because I think if everything's done properly, yeah. it would have worked somewhat. Well, I don't
1: yeah, know. No, no, thank, <laughs> no, no, thanks for calling. Joy. Well, no, that, that, that's 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 the point. And I, I'm getting all these hostile emails and stuff. I'm just throwing this out there. I, I think. I mean I think what you just said is one of of the keys. Look, intuitively, okay, if you say all right, you everybody's got to wear masks, that just seems to me to say okay, well that that just that would prevent help prevent the transmission of, of germs. Okay, that that makes sense. I guess the the question becomes did it but but that assumes, of course, that everybody's going to be wearing the masks properly and everybody's going to be practicing hygiene and things like that. Do I think the masks hurt? Uh, the, the answer would be no, but for the, the hassle of wearing them and some people for some people is a bigger hassle than, than others. But for the hassle of that, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think the masks hurt. Um, did they help dramatically? And I think that's I mean, I think that's a fair question to ask. And because, you know, moving forward, next time there is a pandemic and there will be another pandemic at some point in time, I think it's fair to ask, OK, this is what we did before. Because um, remember, originally, the, the science was at the beginning of this, the science was masks don't matter. Don't, don't worry about it. And then the, the science changed, and I understand, science evolves, the science changed, it's no, no, everybody's gotta wear masks. Well now, in retrospect, there are studies coming out that suggest it, it didn't make any difference. Now again, maybe the reason it didn't make any difference is you, you could never get universal compliance. People were wearing the, the cheap cloth masks, people don't wear them properly, but that's always gonna be the reality. And I think that's that's what we have to look at moving forward rather than simply saying, next time there is a pandemic, okay, let's go back to what we did two or three years ago. We, it's fair to ask, is what we did two or three years ago, was was that working, is that effective? And if it wasn't, if it really didn't make any difference, then maybe do we have to come up with plan B or plan C? 855-616-1620, um, let's talk to Andrew in Waukesha. Andrew, you're on WTMJ.
0: Yeah, thanks for taking my call. So, you know, my girlfriend works in the OR, and you mentioned the sterility in the OR, making masks more effective. They don't wear masks in the OR to prevent infection. They wear masks to keep blood and fluids out of their mouth. The medical community has known forever that masks do not work to prevent respiratory infection. And if we decide... To go back three years from now or whenever a pandemic happens and mask everybody again, we are insane. And there is a negative effect. There's post-consumer pollution. There is the effect on children who don't get to see the facial expressions of the people they love. There is a huge detrimental effect for something that doesn't work.
1: Yep, Andrew. Thanks for calling. And I know a lot of people feel that way. And and people, I, I would just tell you from from the tone of the texts we're, we're getting. I'm just trying to have a discussion about this. People are angry about both sides of this. Jeff, it's po- here's a text. It's possible they were ineffective for many reasons. But we had we hadn't had a pandemic in a hundred years, and we didn't know everything about the new virus. I think public health officials were trying to make some common sense decisions. I wore a mask to the barber shop yesterday. And and this is see, this is my my point. This is in having this discussion now, now that the pandemic is effectively over, I think we have to move past the finger pointing, oh, you know, this was wrong or this was right or whatever. I think you have to move past that and say, moving forward, what do we do? What does the science show? What does the evidence show? So next time, if there is a next time something happens, do you try to reinstitute uh, the the mask mandates? If the number of COVID patients, uh, you know, goes up again in the fall or whatever, does it make sense to say, okay, if you're gonna ride a county bus, you've got to wear a mask now. Does that make any sense? Given the real world limitations that we have, given the fact that everybody's not wearing the high end surgical masks and people got them down over their nose, and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about that. I just raised the the question. And if you're one of these people, who say, "Oh, the science is settled; these masks work," or alternatively, there's no justification for the masks. Well, okay, you, you you're entitled to that, but I think you have to. We have to evolve our thinking, and this. I think it's certainly worth looking at some of these studies as opposed to just just taking it as, as religion, saying, oh, this, these masks had to have stopped the transfer of covid uh, on an individual basis. I'm sure it probably didn't. I know there's still people who wear masks. I was somewhere the other day and outside there were a couple people that were were I saw them wearing masks. And that's fine. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine. But population wise. We have to ask our question, itself: the question, you know, what does the evidence show in retrospect? Does it make any difference? And at least there's a series of studies that are coming out that say, no, it didn't make any difference. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. If you want to... See a link to the story that I was referring to and links to the this which appears to be take it for what it's worth, but it appears to be, you know, one of the largest studies done post COVID into the effectiveness of mask mandates. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty, I've got a link to the story. It's generating all sorts of Controversy ranging from people who say, "Say I told you so. I told you it wasn't going to make any difference." To people who say, "Oh, it, it just—it absolutely cannot be. This is the gospel. Masks had to have worked." And actually, I don't claim to know the answer one way or the other. But I think we have to have this conversation instead of just engaging you know, in blind faith as to what could be. I also have the definitive update on the the parking structure collapse at Bayshore. Um, got a note from my minister. Jeff, it's Father Jeff. I'm at the scene. Appears no injuries or fatalities. Praise the Lord. So that's And, and that's kind of what it looks like, the reaction. If you look at the emergency responders and stuff, it's, there, there might be a couple cars that were buried. But um, thank goodness, no, nobody was under the particular area that collapsed. So that's all very, very good news. Okay. I want to... Um, There is a lot going on in the world, you know, there's just there's no question about it. Uh, We are coming up on the one year anniversary of the invasion of um, of the invasion of Ukraine by uh, by Russia. And as we've talked about on multiple occasions, it hasn't gone like Vladimir Putin thought it was going to go. Um, he, He clearly thought that they were going to be able to steamroll Ukraine, that Ukraine would have collapsed, that Russians would have been viewed as conquering heroes. And he also viewed that the felt that the West could not unite and and oppose this. And he's been wrong on all those counts. And what's going on now looks like a a, just a war of attrition. Uh, It's been a disaster for the Russian army as far as the loss of personnel and the loss of equipment and the expenditure of resources. It's been a catastrophe on on a human level with the fact that you have, what, 25 to 30 percent of Ukraine, which has been destroyed, and the people have been rendered homeless. I mean, it's a huge humanitarian crisis because of of the aggression of Putin. And now you've got Vladimir Putin, who's giving a speech earlier this week where he's saber-rattling and, pulling out of the the last nuclear arms control treaty that they're a part of. And apparently there's been meetings going on between Russia and China. And the idea is, okay, is China, which apparently views the United States and other parts of the West as the enemy is, is all this pushing China closer to Russia. So you've got all this going on. And at the same time, we in the West are trying to finesse the situation. Yeah, that's the word I want to use, because on the one hand, we want to see Russia lose. I think, you know, Russia, if Russia is allowed to just engage in this aggression unchecked, that will be very, very bad for the world. So we want to see Russia lose. We want to see Ukraine win. I I don't, as I've talked about before, I'm not sure what the the diplomatic off-ramp is, because Putin is so invested in this, and so it seems to me the only way this ends, there's really three ways. I guess one is that Putin wins, and I don't see that as happening. Secondly, is that Putin dies, and or is deposed, and someone else comes in that takes a different look at this. Or the third is that Putin becomes convinced that he cannot win, and then is forced to try to find that diplomatic off-ramp that, that we're talking about. So, but I, I don't see any indication that any of that's going to happen in the near future, which from a humanitarian perspective is just absolutely awful, but you've got this going on and you've got Biden and other leaders in the West who are again, trying to finesse this. You want to support Ukraine. And at the same time, you don't want to set off world war three, right? That, that's just the reality. So, Against that backdrop, you've now got Taiwan. Now Taiwan is of course the little country that the little island that is separated by what is it about a 10 mile straight from mainland you know China and China has always viewed Taiwan as essentially a province of China. Taiwan views itself as being independent. And there's all sorts of saber-rattling going on there about, you know, what's going to happen. What would happen if, if China would move to make a move on, on Taiwan? Two interesting stories today. First of all, the United States is apparently markedly increasing the number of troops that it is sending to Taiwan, more than quadrupling the current number to booster a tr- bolster a training program for the military. The U.S. plans to deploy between 100 and 200 troops to the island in the coming months, up from roughly 30 there a year ago. And the larger force is going to expand a training program that the Pentagon has taken pains not to publicize because they don't want to hack off China, but they're doing it anyways. Our very own congressman, Mike Gallagher, who represents the the Green Bay area and stuff, he's just come back from Taiwan, and local newspaper is reporting that, you know, he wants enhanced partnerships um, with with Taiwan, and he's reiterating his calls to arm the island in the face of growing global tensions with China. Here's one of the things he says. He says, most of the Taiwanese leaders I met and talked with about Ukraine as just a massive wake-up call for what happens when deterrence fails and the need to wage peace so that deterrence does not fail. And, uh, again, Taiwan officials, um, they want, there's a huge backlog, I guess, of weapons and military equipments that the U.S. has approved for the island, and, and they want us to start you know, providing them there. Now, of course, if you do that, that risks poking the bear, not the Russian bear, but the bear that is China. And I, I, I want to discuss this because I think it's time to talk about this now. There are some people who would suggest that if we were more aggressive in arming Ukraine several years ago, it might have served as a deterrent to Vladimir Putin attacking them. I'm not sure I buy into that. So now we're talking about Taiwan. I guess my question is, how, how much of this can we handle? While you've got all this going on in Ukraine, and we're continuing to try to support Ukraine through NATO, and we're trying to keep Russia in check, right? how much can we do in Taiwan, and are we really willing to take on China at the same time you've got all this stuff going on in Ukraine with Russia? that six one six twenty that is the old national bank talk and text line. Look look don't get me wrong. I, I think we have an obligation to I mean Taiwan is our is a is a partner and an ally. But at the same time I, I think we need to be careful about engaging in overly provocative conduct right now because again how much how many fronts can we sort of fight these battles on eight five five six one six one six twenty? What do we do with the problem that is Taiwan right now? Back to discuss in just a moment. So, very glad to have you with us. Uh, I check out my my Twitter account. You follow me? It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. A couple different postings. We we started the program out. Um, this story about the police officer two days ago who ended up shooting the guy who was fleeing him well they've now released his background and you can kind of understand why the guy might have been running from the police a multiple felon who wasn't supposed to have guns in the first place there's a warrant out for him we it it doesn't make any difference i guess one way or another as to whether the shooting was justified or not that'll be determined a little bit later on but uh, you do understand now why he ran from the police, because here you have somebody who's warrants, he's armed, not supposed to have a gun, and this is the type of stuff that the police have to deal with on a regular basis. Also, there is um, there, there's a local social media site. It's called Urban Milwaukee, and they actually do. It's it's got a very liberal, I, I think a very liberal editorial spin, but they also you know cover. Um, events going on in the city, and I think they do a pretty good job of that. And Bruce Murphy, who who runs the the website, got a real interesting piece that's out there. and And I just wanted to call your attention to it. Uh, there is a lot of controversy involving the governor Tony Evers, who announced with I, I think blindsided Republicans in the legislature by saying that he wants to take close to $300 million of the state budget surplus and essentially give it indirectly to the brewers, just, just give it to the stadium district so they can make improvements um, to American family field. And in exchange for that, the brewers would agree to uh, extend their lease for an extra 10 years to like 2042 and all. Well, Murphy's got a really, really interesting piece that, that raises a lot of questions now as I've been saying discussing this I, I, I think something is going to get done I think that I think most people Republicans and Democrats recognize that first of all the Brewers are an asset to the region and the state and secondly um, American family field which is owned by the, the stadium district the public it, it's it's in our collective interest to make sure that this the stadium is, is state of the art. But, but here's the interesting question, which is, where did this $290 million number come from? And, and that's what blindsided a lot of people. And, you know, Bruce Murphy on Urban Milwaukee has a really interesting piece about how it looks like Tony Evers may be selling the taxpayers down down the river on this. Um, there was a report in 2019 that said to cover all the costs of improvements, etc. The number wasn't 290 million; it was really 70 million, 71.7 actually. And then this the study said, "Okay, well, maybe what we should do is also let's let's add an extra like 15 million to cover unexpected conditions and inflationary impacts." So the thinking was, "Okay, to, to do." What we're talking about doing, it's going to be under $100 million, probably under $90 million. So where does this $290 million number come from? Well, apparently, the, the brewers went out and, and they found, I don't know, one of the, these outfits that typically owners of sports franchises use to say how much that they're going to need. And this came in at this astronomically high number. And apparently Evers just kind of went with that. And so the, the story then goes on to say, hey, at this, this inflated number, it, it you really question whether or not this makes economic sense at all. And and look, and I, I don't want to go too deeply into the weeds on this one way or the other. Like I say, I think the brewers are an asset. I think something needs to get done. But this $290 million figure appears to have kind of been just sort of pulled out of the air or at least a wish list of the tenants as opposed to, you know, what's really fair to ask from the taxpayers. So I've got a link to this story, and it's worth taking a look at. Um, As I say on my Twitter account, I, I want to see something worked out to pay for improvements to American Family Field and keep the brewers in Milwaukee. But if this report is true, it looks like Tony Evers is selling out the taxpayers and trying to spend money in a way that would embarrass drunken sailors. So that's the real question. That's why I've been saying all along, I think something's going to get done. But... This idea that we're just going to take the the highest estimate that's around there and not critically look at what really needs to be done and what the real costs are, and simply because we have a budget surplus, let's just spend every dime of it, I I think that's what the non-starter is going to be. And that's coming from my perspective as somebody who wants to see the brewers stay and wants to see American Family Field continue to be a world-class facility. It's just... Okay, where do these numbers really come from? And if you're asking for the taxpayers to contribute hundreds of millions of dollars, I think it's fair to be skeptical about where what exactly is needed and what really isn't. Okay, let's switch gears. At the earlier on the program I was talking about the mayor and his desire to take Milwaukee. Its current population is like 570,000 or so. And and what he'd like to do is is get it up to a million. And we talked about what you need to do to deal with that. The state is in many respects in the same sort of bind. Here's the deal. Over the last decade, Wisconsin lost 106,000 people under the age of 26. That's according to a recent report by Forward Analytics, the research arm of the Wisconsin's, Wisconsin Counties Association. And the estimates are that if, if we, we being those of us who live and work in the state of Wisconsin, don't improve efforts to attract and retain young people, the, the labor shortage that we have now is going to get dramatically worse by certainly even in in the next five, six, seven years, by the end of the decade. And if demographic trends continue, the state's working age population could shrink by about 130,000 people in the next seven years. So the issue that's out there is how do you get young people to stay in Wisconsin? As we talked about earlier, you know, you're you're not going to change the weather. And that's always going to be a, an issue because the, the choice is gee, I mean, I, I'll, my, I'll use my niece as an example. She's in her second year of law school in Washington, D.C., she went to college in, in San Diego. Okay, so loves Wisconsin, but at the same time, it's like, oh, gee, where would you like to be permanently? Gee, San Diego permanently 75 degrees. Now, you've got some issues, et cetera, but 75 degrees, you're by the mountains, you're by the beach, et cetera, or, you know, Wisconsin, where, hey, is your power on because there was this nice storm that, that moved through? Our number is 855 616 We've only got a couple minutes, but if you were to offer one suggestion to the powers that be as to how we could retain and or attract younger people, the, the kids that are in high school going to college now, the kids that are in college going to graduate now, the kids that are in high school, maybe they're not going to go to college, but they're looking to start their lives. What what could we do? What do we need to do to keep them in Wisconsin? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Wisconsin, It might be cold and crummy out right now, but soon, trust me, it's going to be warming up and you'll need to get your home ready. That's why I'm here for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. And this week we're brought to you by my friends at Bruce's Team. Bruce's Team, taking seniors from overwhelmed to I can do this for over 35 years. Visit their website at Bruce's Team.com or give them a call, 262-242-6177. That's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on WT. Okay, so new study out that says that uh, Wisconsin in the last decade lost 106,000 people under the age of 26. And if you break down the numbers a little, it, it seems that Wisconsin tends to be an importer of of young people ages 15 to 19, but then an exporter of people, you know, after they, they get out of college. So the question is for those young people in the sweet spot, what what do we need to do? Now, a number of people are saying, well, you know, what you have to do is, you know, th- there's, a, there's a weather problem, Jeff, uh, you know, weather problem. Well, you're not you're never going to be able to deal with that. You're, you're going to you know, you're going to have to. You're gonna to have to, you know, recognize that the weather is just not going to work out. Number of people are saying address crime. One of our texters says, my daughter graduated from college in Minnesota in December, has no plans to come home. Let's talk to Al in Muskego. Al, you're on WTMJ.
0: Hi, thanks for having me on. I, sure. I, my suggestion is some of that money from American Family Field and offering these young people free college tuition as long as they agree to stay in the state for 10, 15 years after graduation.
1: Okay. Thanks for calling. I'm, I'm thinking that through. I mean, I, I was going to say, you know, just the, the free college tuition in and of itself isn't does, doesn't keep you there because, and I guess that that ties in to, to what I, I was thinking. My answer is, as a starting point, it's all about good jobs, At the end of the day that that's what it is. You you go look you you graduate let's let's talk about people who graduate from college and I understand that's not the whole universe of people but you know when you're starting out a career you you need you know, people can be bought. That That's just the reality. You go where the jobs are. Now, it might be you've got people that have got, you know, offers of, hey, I've got this job, and you can go to San Diego, or you can be in Fargo, North Dakota, or you can be in Washington, D.C., and I appreciate that there's a lot of factors that, that go into that, but the, the the point is good jobs, and if you've got attractive, well-paying jobs, that's, I think, where, where it all starts, because... If you get somebody, whether whether they graduate from the UW system, you know, if you graduate from the UW system, free tuition or not, you're still going to need a, a place to work. You know, you're going to need something. If you say, hey, I want to be whatever your chosen profession is, whether you want to be a doctor or you want to be a structural engineer or you want to be an attorney or whatever, there's got to be a job for you that's out there. So that's why I think one of the keys is that there's and it's all about that. It's got to be pro business. It's got to be pro-job creation. It's got to be how can we get attractive positions that are going to take those young people and say, hey, hey we want to stay here, and, and yes... Maybe in some respects it would be more glamorous to be in Chicago, but you know what? The Chicago weather is pretty much the same as the the weather in southeastern Wisconsin, and I've got a better job opportunity in Milwaukee or in Waukesha or in Mequon or in Madison. I've got a better job offer or at least a comparable job offer to Chicago, so it's going to I'm going to be inclined to do that. None of the other stuff. Yeah, you, you Obviously, you don't want to live in crime infested areas. And as we were talking about from a big picture, you know, you, you want to have good schools and all that sort of stuff. But I think, first and foremost, if we're serious about wanting to keep young people in this state, the first commitment has to be all right, we, we've got to go all in on job creation. Good jobs good long-term jobs, good jobs with the potential for advancement, you dangle that in front of the 23-year-old's eyes, and they're going to say, hey, yeah. Okay. You know, maybe maybe it would be more glamorous to live in Atlanta, Georgia or whatever. And maybe the weather would be a little bit better. But, you know, this is home. I like it. I like what I'm going to do. I know the area. And this is a great job. that's going to start me in a great career. You know what? They get started in a great career. And maybe five or six years from now, they, they leave for that better job or a better job in Atlanta, Georgia. But at least you've got them hooked. And maybe by that time, they find somebody, they meet, they start a family, and then you're off to the races. Just saying.